0: welcome everyone this is the valente brothers podcast we're here with pedro valente hello everyone welcome to our podcast once again joaquin valente hello everyone happy to be here so we're back for another episode we're going to talk about our dear father grandmaster dr pedro valente we decided to dedicate a full episode which, by the way, won't be enough to talk about our dad, um, his beginnings, some of our ancestry, and, of course, his life trajectory and how this helped us so much. So, Pedro, what can we start with? Our father was
1: born in Rio, and he comes from a family that uh, originated in the Northeast of Brazil, most specifically in the state of Ceará. And our father was very proud of his northeastern roots. Um, He was the son of a doctor, Dr. Silo Gomes Valente, a very wise and spiritual man who started him in the practice of jiu jitsu. And our father was someone who loved. History who loved ancestry and who loved learning valuable lessons from those that, who he admired, those who came before him. He was very proud of his roots. And I'm very excited to be able to talk not only about his trajectory but also about his philosophy, which is so important in our trajectory.
0: I think we should mention his mother also. Huh? so and also her family. Go ahead, not from Sierra. Absolutely. You know more than I do, so please.
1: <laughs> yes, her, her, his mother, our beloved vovó Temish, our dear grandmother who we were so close to growing up. She um, She was born in Rio. Her mother was a piano player, piano teacher, a musician with French roots. And her father... Um, was from the northeast of Brazil as well, from the state of Pernambuco. And he was a... Was he born in Pernambuco? He was born in Pernambuco, yes. And he was extremely um, creative. He started his own company. He had his own invention. And, um, And they, you know, both of them, her father, and they had many children... So she had many siblings and, and she was a wonderful woman. Yeah.
0: Vovo Temish. Yes. Right? Very tough woman who I think our father shared a lot of her uh, personal traits. Yes.
2: Vovo means grandmother, yes. right? In a caring way to say it. it's avo, but we call vovo. Like grandma. Yes, and,
1: and she, uh, yeah, her temperament in many ways was similar to
0: our father's. So, Joaquin, what can you say about what
2: you know about my our dad's um, upbringing and, and his youth? I think his youth was extremely important. You know, he always had stories that he used to tell us about how his youth shaped the man he became and how many of the traits that he was so recognized for as someone who was eclectic and someone that was intense and, you know, really dedicated himself to whatever he was trying to achieve. This idea that we have spoken before here in these podcasts of having a mission, right, and going after that mission with with your full heart and really striving to be able to achieve it was something that... You know, I think he was born with that personality. And there's so many stories of him young and how he was dedicated in martial arts, in jujitsu, you know, in other activities and and you know my dad I think similar to me, we were from the same sign, Scorpio. You know, he was someone that really enjoyed to tell stories, to be able to have a good time he was a great storyteller very descriptive and that allowed us to be able to live many memories that were remarkable on his upbringing
0: yeah i would also you know like to add that he, so our father was uh, the first of two children um, he was the oldest brother his youngest sister was jesilda tia jesilda and they lived our father was born in a, in a neighborhood called Andaraí in Rio de Janeiro. Eventually the family moved to Tijuca, or they were already living in Tijuca, and they were born, and he was born in Andaraí, the hospital. Um, years later, uh, our grandfather moved to Copacabana, and that's where he pretty much was raised. Uh, he started training in martial arts organized martial arts. The first academy was a judo school when he was about 10 years old, nine years old. And eventually when he was between 12 and 13, that's when they joined the Academia Gracie in downtown Rio de Janeiro, 1953. Yes. Um, his first jiu-jitsu instructors, I think we have t- to mention, were João Alberto Barreto, Robson, Gracie, who, just who, was just a few, class. who was just a few years older than him. Elio Um We have his his card with the classes. I don't know if he took classes with Carlson or Armando Vritch, maybe yes. a few also. Yes. Those were the five main teachers under Elio Gracie teaching at the time. And I remember that our father talked a lot about how he, when he was young, of course, very playful, like Shraki mentioned, um, but he was not a very good student early on. And he was... Um, Studying a, in a very nice private school, and our grandfather was not happy with his grades and threatened him to remove him from school if he had, you know, if he did not improve his grades, and he would send him to a public school. Or, and and he always talked about how eventually there was a big click, and and he started doing much better. And in Brazil, the the school system is a bit different, but what it what would be equivalent to high school, that's when he started really. Organizing himself, learning how to to study with the help, of course, of teachers and our father. He, he really developed a, a sense of discipline. And that was very important for him because he was able to enter, at the time, the most prominent uh, medical school, probably in South America. And the, the system in Brazil is different than the one used here in the United States, you need to pass a test called vestibular. And it's it's pretty much based on this test. And the top qualifiers, there's a certain number, and the ones that um, qualify among that number, they uh, enter the university. The ones that rank
2: the best in that test.
0: Yeah, let's say they have 40 spots, so the top 40 enter that uh, university. And that's... um, how he, I think that was a very important step, right, in his, in his life, especially in his uh, medical history. Yes. Uh, what was the name of the university? Faculdade
1: Nacional de Medicina, the, the National um, Medical School in Brazil. And it was respected around the world. People would come from around the world to attend that university. It was considered one of the best medical schools in the world. At the time, and our father was able, through that test, as you said, to to This is in the late 50s, early 60s. I think he graduated in
0: 1963, possibly? Yes.
1: But going back to to his childhood, I think two stories come to mind. Number one, the story about the rifle, the pellet rifle that our grandfather
0: um, let him borrow one time. You remember the story? Yes. So our father... um, yeah, he talked a lot about this because it was a huge lesson for him and it stayed with him for the rest of his life. He learned the the concept of trust and he had the rifle that was, of course, was it borrowed or maybe a present from our grandfather? I think because yeah, I think
1: what makes sense more with the story is that it he It was he borrowed.
0: And a few days later, a few weeks later, um, our grandfather asked for the rifle. Maybe asked yes. to have the rifle back, and our father said, um, "Dad, I let I let one of my st- my friends have it, you know, and my and his I, uh, borrow yeah. it, yeah. yeah." And Vovosilu, my dad's dad said, "I trusted you with the rifle." I did not trust your friend. And he taught him that trust is not transferable. Yeah, because our father said, no, I trust my friend.
1: He's very trustworthy. And then Bovo said, no, you might trust him. Correct.
0: But it's my rifle. So you cannot transfer that trust to somebody else. Yeah, and he taught us that, and he remembered that story in so many different occasions. And that's so present in, in so many situations, I think, that our friends
2: can relate to this so much. Right, Joaquin? Yes, Because, you know, I think a lot of times people don't put themselves in the position of understanding how much trust someone needs to have to be able to, in that case, land him, you know, the rifle, or even gift him the rifle, right? Because as a father, and I teach about firearms, as you guys know, it takes a lot of trust for you to be able to trust someone with a weapon, someone with a firearm. And when you say, look, I'm going to take that and I'm going to give it to someone else, right? It's the perfect example that trust cannot be transferable because I trust you, but I don't trust the other person. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't trust them, but the only reason that you have this firearm because I trusted you, so you cannot do this. And that has to do a
1: lot, I think, with secrets, right? Somebody tells you a secret and they're expecting to only tell you, and then you feel, oh, I can tell it to this other person because I trust this other person. That's not right.
0: Because the person who told you the secret doesn't necessarily
1: trust that person. Yeah. That's Even why in business,
0: it. you have to usually sign agreements because no one, about unfortunately... secrets, I remember... People don't trust each other, so <laughs> you yeah. have to sign an agreement.
2: On secrets, I remember our dad speaking so much about how our grandfather, his father, right, would teach him that silence is golden, Right? The direct translation from the way that he used to say it in Portuguese was that a palavra é de prata e o silêncio é de ouro. Words right. are silver, silver, but silence is gold. And silence is gold, so. Yes. Another
1: thing that came to mind when you were talking about the clique that our father started doing better in school has to do with how he was such a prolific writer. Can I uh, then,
0: I thought it was going to be a different story, can I uh, share another trust? story that okay. I think was also very important mm-hmm. to him so he you know we had a very different way we still have a very different way in the way we we share things as brothers right we a lot of people find this to be very um almost crazy <laughs> very but unique unique but um some accountants I think find <laughs> it crazy <laughs> some lawyers find it crazy but we were raised in a way where we learned from our father to share everything. Um, and we still do, right? We still have one bank account, right? And we, 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 we share everything and we have a trust that everyone is, is, is fair, everyone works as hard, and everyone just takes whatever they need and we don't keep track, right? So our father said that one time he needed money and our grandfather told him, go ahead, you know where my wallet is, just go there. Open the wallet, take whatever you need, and put the wallet back. And our father said, okay. So our father went, and the wallet was full of money. And he just, he thought about it, and he's like, okay, I'm just going to take whatever I, I need right now. And it was a very small amount compared to how much money was in that wallet. When he came back, he thanked his, his father, our grandfather. He said, wow, Dad, thank you so much. You know, when I have children, I'm going to do the same exact way. I'm going to teach them the same exact way. I'm going to trust them like that. And our grandfather told him, that you're going to have to wait. You're going to have to first meet them to then find out if you can trust them or not. So, Everybody's different. Because everybody is different. So, of course, what we were able to achieve is greatly, I think it was pretty much 90 or more percent. because of his teachings. But our father, we know, and his father as well, they believed a lot in in um, nature, not just in nurture. Correct. So, it's a combination. Yes. That's so
1: important. And going back to, to, to the clique, our father was a prolific writer. And I think that's something, a skill that he used his entire life to write letters and, to, and notes and, and thoughts. And growing up, In our library, there was a compilation of short stories. Our father loved to write short stories, essays, when he was a kid, when he was a teenager. Um, Fiction and non-fiction, short stories. And I was always so impressed with his handwriting, how beautiful his calligraphy was. And also, I remember being the same age when he wrote those stories and thinking, oh my God, his vocabulary was so good, his... His writing was so amazing. So I was always impressed at our father's intellectual prowess and his abilities in writing and and his vocabulary and his knowledge about so many different things, not just medicine. Even though he was a surgeon, he knew medicine very well, all the different areas of medicine, and also about life, about
0: history, about science, and and so many areas. So our father goes to medical school. He... Um, graduates he has um, top grades he actually always talked about how his uh, highest grades were in psychiatry and he decides to become a plastic surgeon Um, he was also influenced and this is very interesting for our trajectory as well he was influenced by uh, a a student at the academia who was a Very high level, very recognized plastic surgeon in Brazil at the time, in Rio de Janeiro. Dr. Jorge Jorge da Silva. Da Silva, yes. Um, And he goes on to become a great plastic surgeon, right? He achieved great success very quickly. At the time, Brazil already had good plastic surgeons, um, but our father, who was younger, than a name that is very recognized until today, uh, Ivo Pitangui, Pitangui family. And our father, I think it's fair to say that even though he was younger, at one point he was the number one ranking plastic surgeon in Rio de Janeiro, right? Yes, in Brazil. In Brazil. And People were coming from all over the world to Recognized all over the world to the point that he was invited when the New York Times Magazine published uh, a story um, they invited the top doctors in the world and top our father, five. top five doctors in the world and our, fi- and our father was among them.
1: Yeah, and we should talk a little bit about his training as well, not just in Brazil uh, under the mentorship of, of Jorge da Silva, but also my, our father traveled the world to, to learn from the best plastic surgeons and that's something that we learned from him. Our father always encouraged us to find out who are the best in any field and to yes. learn from them. And he trained under Dr. Gustav Alfrich in New
0: York City, who was considered the best plastic surgeon who I'm sure in that the world at our, the time. Our plastic surgeon friends watching this, listening to this, I'm sure they know who Gustav
1: Alfricht. Especially because you have the Alfrich, one of the instruments is called the Alfrich. I forget exactly yeah. what it is. Now that I speak a little bit of German, I think it's Alfricht. Alfricht. <laughs> Gustav Alfricht. Uh, and also he went to Europe and he worked in England and they're very prominent doctors as well. So he, um, he really prepared himself before he went to Brazil and he started on his journey as a plastic surgeon. And as I said, he, as you said, with great success at a very young yeah, age. Yeah, he
0: studied in England and in, in London and in top schools in New York. I think he did courses in, in the New York University and Cornell. yes. And in in Paris as well. Correct. And he studied a lot of nutrition as well. Yes, and and, and if you go back, that's one of the innovations that he was recognized for. He used, and of course, this came from his uh, connection with Carlos Gracie. So that's what sparked the interest initially. But then he went on to scientifically also try to find the answers of the whys. Why should we eat this way? Why should we eat that way? And he used that in his pre- and post-surgery
1: protocols. Correct. Um, And if you go back to 1968, our father was, before he turned 30 years old, you can already find full-page articles in the Brazilian newspapers about his trajectory, interviews with him, where he's talking about nutrition, he's talking about fasting, things that are becoming popular right now. More than 50 years later, he was already talking about them back then.
0: Yeah, and what... Uh, is important to, to to know is that back in the day let's talk a little bit about our father as a young teenager at the academia grecia our father was just a student mm-hmm. right among so many students he was there he had private lessons he had he was part of also the training that it was more just a group training session uh, he was able even to to participate in one of the teams and he fought representing the academia grecia and the Maracanazinho a couple times I think mm-hmm. um, he also fought some tournaments um for his university. And uh, judo. He was judo. part of the university Judo team. Judo team. But what was happening, for example, in the Academia Grecia was in many ways there was a separation between the amateurs and a few of the professionals, especially it was a group of teachers like Carson Gracie at the time, João Alberto Barreto, Aero Vigio, even Hobson, and our father and some others as well. And our father used to tell us that he would be always trying on the lookout to see what were these guys doing right and he noticed that they were drinking these smoothies and that they were eating these fruits the figs he used to talk about with you know some special more natural cheese and how they were talking about you know combining foods and 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 actually I think that his gateway to learning a lot was the fact that eventually he became very close friends with some of uh, Carlson's sisters. Yes. <laughs> he became very close to them. Carlos Gracie's daughters. Carlos Gracie's daughters. And through them, he was actually invited to go to their uh, house in the mountains in Teresopolis. And of course, spending a whole weekend, that's where he started to learn about it, and it really sparked his interest and his curiosity. And I think that later on in medical school, that's when he was really able to, to further his knowledge and to develop a lot. But um, anything else from this time period? Of course, we're trying to just pick and choose what's more important because we could talk for hours. But um, anything, Joaquin, that comes to your mind?
2: No, I think those are all, you know, sitting here and listening to both of you tell right. these stories. It reminds me of, you know, sitting with him and, and listening to these stories, always, always in a format of, of lessons, right, of ways for us to be able to apply that into our routines and, and how important it is when we would go with him to visit, you know, another martial arts school, a judo place, or, you know, he used to, back in the day, we used to go to some boxing schools and he wanted us to pay attention. and He would always describe how he was so dedicated of a student to try to get as much information when he was training at the Academia Grace at the time.
1: And, and I think we have to talk about our father as a maverick, as a nonconformist, as somebody who didn't really follow norms and always found his own way. As a fighter, no? As a fighter.
0: And, and like fighter in the sense of yes. never giving up. And let me just share a couple more stories and then we'll move on from mm. his youth. Uh, our father talked a lot about this. He had this huge family from the Northeast originally, but you know, most of the Valente family, at least the close family members, moved to Rio de Janeiro and to São Paulo, to Santos. Yes. And where he spend vacations as a child. Yeah, and our father was a very frail. We're a little bit bigger and taller, a lot bigger and taller compared to, to him, especially when he was young. Mm-hmm. He was very frail, very lightweight. Uh, we became a little taller than he was. And he suffered a little bit. We forgot to talk about the Valente, Valente story. So you're going to talk about that in a second. But yes. So some of the experiences he had, um, really shaped who he became. And, and one of them was with a cousin. And I'm not going <laughs> to talk about names, but one of his cousins, I think maybe was one or two years older, and they would always gather for summer vacation in, in Santosh And this cousin would beat him up, right? A couple times, beat him up and abuse, and bully, like size-wise and take advantage of the fact that he was bigger. And our father started training, right? Especially, I think, when he started training jiu-jitsu. He prepared for, I don't know, six months just to beat that cousin. And eventually, they went to Santosh. The cousin thought that he was going to again take advantage of the situation, and our father now was equipped (laughs) with jiu-jitsu and easily dominated and gave his cousin a lesson that his cousin never forget. They were, of course, they became friends later, but uh, he always talked about that, how, yes, one day you might lose, but fight's not over, right? You lost the battle, you didn't lose the war. Go prepare, find ways, and then come back and, and overcome that challenge. And also his uh, introduction to the Academia Grace, where there was also some kid in his neighborhood in Copacabana who was doing the same, uh, had maybe beaten up a couple times, and when he joined the Academia Grecia, I think it was even with João Alberto. Yes. Eventually, I'm sure Ed Vigio was involved as well. Uh, João Alberto and Ed Vigio were just a little bit older than our father. Mm-hmm. right? So our father is 13. These guys were instructors. They were probably, what, 17, 15, 16, 17. And so João Alberto told us this story again. Our father had told us, but he gave us details recently how he prepared our father. And then he went with our father to the area where all these... Kids used to hang out, and he organized a little challenge match <laughs> in the street on asphalt. And our father was able to hold his own, and and, and I think overcome that challenge as well. Exactly, so exactly. And that's why he started
1: training in the first place. Because, as you said, he was skinny, he was not very big, and then people would make fun of him, especially because of his last name. Our last name, Valente. Are you really brave? Because Valente means brave. So he will have to always fight, and many times he would lose and get
0: overpowered by stronger kids. Even though Vovo Silu, our grandfather Silu, told him that, to, to and instructed him to say that if somebody asks, are you really brave? Just in the name. Yes. But it's much easier to say that when you have physical
1: confidence Correct. than when you're doing it out of fear. Yes. So he started to, to, to learn how to fight and that served him very well. But I think that's important and that really shaped him. The, the reason why he started doing Jiu-Jitsu. Right? And that always... Left him with a little bit of a chip on the shoulder in a good way, in a sense that he was always ready to fight, yeah. and he never let anybody get away with <laughs> <laughs> anything, <laughs> bullying him or they are you know insulting him or he was always ready to fight. Yeah, it was a, a different
2: mentality. Yes, I think that mentality came because of all the the situations that he went through. You know, I feel that with with our dad, everything that he conquered was based on his hard work. Obviously, you know, our grandfather was an amazing human being and our grandmother also. And, uh, you know, I'm sure he felt very privileged to be able to have everything that he had. But he was a very hardworking man. And, you know, talking about how he was you know, so advanced for his time with the nutrition part and bringing that together with the plastic surgery, that also went very hand-in-hand hand to the way that he built his clinic. I think that's where he started, you know, having that passion for building his, his first clinic and his second clinic were examples of, you know, the, the, the quality of service of things that today... When you go to a nice hotel, you really feel that, you know, you had that. Especially on, on the last clinic that he had where he was fully It was actually three, third. Yeah. Third. Third. third.
0: Because he started with a with The one a right next to João
2: Alberto Barreto. That's, that's right. the first one. First one. Second was Anita Garibaldi. Yeah, so I'm talking about Anita Garibaldi. Ah, okay, perfect. That's yeah. the one that he had full service in, yeah, it, right? Yeah, it was a fully no, I operational. thought you were talking about a The no, one no. he did as a private clinic. No, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that one he did in the end just to be able to have something. But that was like amazing yeah. too, Amazing that. too, yeah. yeah. But um, it wasn't a fully operational. Sure. Yeah, what, what we're talking
0: about is the fact that... So our, our father started with a small... Uh, office regular what you would expect. But still made an amazing
1: construction there. Yes. Too. yes. yes.
0: And, and then he built he bought a house. He was he was able to buy a house in Copacabana, a very prominent uh, neighborhood. Very prominent neighborhood. It's a building that's still there and that he left for us and he built an amazing clinic that that's where he implemented all the And when you and say clinic but then yeah, clinic in English. It's a In English.
2: Th- that was a full surgical center, which yeah. you know most plastic surgeons nowadays don't even do that, right? They would go to a surgical center to a hospital. To a yeah. or a hospital or surgical but centers we to do were, surgeries. We
0: thought you were mentioning what our father did. When he retired, he actually built in the premises of our home in Rio, he built a whole structure also to still have the ability to operate. It wasn't a full surgical center but to he was small could procedures small, small procedures and, and he had, wasn't award no there yeah. yeah and he had a
2: and he had a you know his office with all his files and everything so yes. that was the but go ahead no so you know his his love for building i think was was really present in that and i remember going to friends homes and as a you know young kid and they would say, oh, Joaquin Valencio, how are you related to the doctor, the plastic surgeon, Pedro Valencio? I'm like, it's my dad. Oh, my God. He's the best plastic surgeon. You know, I did my nose. You know, my mom did her nose. My friend did her nose. He operated in the whole family. You know, the service in your dad's clinic was amazing. The quality of the food, you know, the, the smoothies that you would be able to have after surgery. So... You know that's something that I think if there was one quality on my dad that everyone was able to to be a testament in which he met, and that until today did they speak with so much passion about, you know, the friendship and whatever kind of relationship they had with my dad, if it was professional or as friends or you know, professional in so many different areas that he worked, they said your dad was one of the most dedicated and passionate people that I ever met. And that was in soccer, that was in plastic surgery, that was, you know, in his public office that he held positions in public office, that was in horseback riding, right? In so many different areas. And I think we should talk about this at the same time, right? (laughs) Yes, there's an expression in Portuguese that's polyvalente.
0: I heard, I think it's polymath. Okay. One of our students, Simon, sent me a... he, He watched something that we actually... Recommend we have it on our YouTube channel an interview. Maybe we can even put the a little link. There's something that sometimes we can do that our yes. friends will help us. A little button or so it would be coming up here somewhere. <laughs> but uh, an interview of of our father and he invited Edu Greci and da Vila, who's uh-huh. one of the greatest um, MPB samba uh, artists in yes. Brazilian history and a reporter and a very famous uh, journalist. Uh, who I had the chance to reconnect with, Sidney Rezende, and the three were uh, helping Dulce, I forgot her last name, Monteiro, Monteiro interview our dad. It's about an hour long. It's called 59 Minutes. So you can really see, this was in 1989, and our father was already connected with so many different, um, activities. different activities. So like, yeah. the interesting
1: is that Polivalente in Portuguese, Pedro Polivalente, is like Polivalente is has our last name yeah. in it so it fits my father and a lot of people would call my dad pedro polivalente so yes it's uh it's an amazing um um life that he lived and everyone was always very yeah
0: it's polymath that's polymath. what it is it was very a polymath as an individual whose knowledge spans a substantial number of subjects Known to draw on complex. So.
1: And that's what I felt about my father. He knows about everything. Like I always was surprised with him. How can he know about so many things and be so good in so many areas at the same time? Does his day really have 24 hours like ours? How is he able to do so much? And that's what Joaquin says. He was so passionate. He was so dedicated. He had so much energy.
0: right? Because you can't do all the things that he did without energy. He had, he had so a notebook much. next to his bed on his bedside table. And anytime he woke up in the middle of the night with an idea, he wrote it down. And as soon as he woke up, he attacked that list. Yeah. If we think about our father's philosophy, to me, the
1: first thing that comes to mind is the value of hard work. That's what comes to mind first when I think of our father, right? He encouraged us to work hard. He, he felt that, Grandmaster Eddie always said, Sorte e merecimento, luck. It's something that you must deserve. It's, it's merit. It's merit. Based on merit. Yeah. Then Who, our sa- f- Who said that? The master would say that a lot. Our father would then compliment by, by saying, E mérito se conquista com trabalho. And merit comes from hard work. Right? So he believed that if you that, that you had the ability to change your life through your work. He felt that nothing was impossible. He would say the possible, I do it immediately. The impossible might take some more
2: time. Yeah, the the phrase on that that I remember that he would always say was "nada vence o trabalho." Exactly, nothing beats hard work. Correct. You
0: don't remember this possible, impossible one?
2: No, this one and that he said first, which is "sorte uh, e merecimento." I didn't, I didn't know that it came from the Elio. Yes, he yes. would give yes. him credit for that. Yes. Yeah,
0: no, but you don't remember him talking about. The possible, I do it immediately. Yes. The impossible, yeah. yeah. I even put it in my earbook. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is important. We have to talk about these things because sometimes we heard one more than the other. Exactly. And, yeah. And, and it's and interesting because uh, I, I use this all the time. Joaquin and Pedro were born what twelve years apart? Mm-hmm. Was it twelve years? Yes. Twelve years apart. So we grew up in different stages of, of our life. dad's life, even though he had you already in a. For today's standards, it's not old. But back in the time, time he had you when he was 37 years old. 36, 37. 36, 37. So, and he had Joaquin when he was 50. 50? Yes, 49. 49. So, it's interesting. And back in the 1970s, the late 1970s, early 80s, when I was born, our father was still very active as a plastic surgeon, even though I think his his prime as a plastic surgeon was in the 70s, 70s uh, and eventually very involved, 1980, he was very involved, 79, 80, he was very involved with Vasco da Gama, a very prominent um, soccer team in that South was America.
1: P- it's funny because I thought you were going to say horseback riding. But you're right, Vasco also. The peak of his involvement with Vasco and horseback riding was the same. Was 80. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It was 7980. Unbelievable. Yes.
0: Vasco da Gama is the equivalent of the Miami Dolphins. It's just that in Rio, we have like four of them in the same town. So it creates great rivalry. Um, and in 1980, Vasco was a top, top team. Yes. When I lived in Brazil, it was also a top, top team. Lately, it's <laughs> not doing very well. But um, horseback riding, his... Our father had a horse that qualified to the Olympic Games. Our father had a horse that qualified to the Pan-American Games. Our father
1: had a horse that was world champion in 1983. And he
0: went to the Buckingham Palace. No, actually, no. It was not at the that Buckingham was, Palace. I think it was in Gestad in Switzerland. Where he met, where he met Prince, Prince Philip. Prince Philip, who awarded uh, my dad and the rider, the writer who also taught us how to ride horses. A great champion, the first female to win the Brazilian national, national championship, championship
1: two <laughs> times in a sport that women and men, men compete together together and that so, my
0: father loved that and our father was her trainer my father that came from the sense of i think jiu jitsu something that Elu gracie loved the underdog and our father was extremely competitive by the way Elio gracie just is to talk about we have to talk about Elu gracie when we talk about <laughs> our father and and this concept of the underdog right our father really liked the underdog sometimes yes. even to the point where you would say, "Wow, he's really a rebel," but it's not <laughs> just a rebel. It's trying Jiu-Jitsu teaches us that we want the weak, we want the person that's weaker to beat the stronger. Yes. Yeah, it's just and also
2: what Pedro said earlier, right? Not going with the with the you current, know, with the, the current thing. where everyone wants. No, no. So if everyone is going that way, hold on. Let's check. Maybe it's better to go to the other direction. That was
0: part of his personality, big time.
2: Yeah. Yeah,
0: never believing the the hype. Yes. Right? My father used to say, when you it's a it's a phrase in Portuguese. Na, quando avistares um gigante, a sombra de um A sombra. Quando avistares, what we'll translated? Quando avistares a sombra de um gigante, olhai, olhai a posição do sol, porque pode ser um anão.
1: So translate please. So, when you see the shadow of a giant, watch the position
0: of the sun because it might be a dwarf. Correct. Right. Never believe immediately yes. what you see or what others want you to see. And that's something that we
1: learn from our father also, to be skeptical. Not to believe everything that is in front of us, to check everything very well because as he learned from his father, as armadilhas são terríveis. Yeah. The traps are
0: terrible. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Many
1: traps around. So you have to always be alert, be aware. And, and then he also, one other aphorism that he really liked actually comes from the Bible, orai i vigiai. So that is the connection between spirit, the importance of spirituality, prayer, but also that's not enough. You must be spiritual, but you also be, must be aware and active and
0: ready to defend Vigilant. yourself. Vigilant. Yeah. Yeah, and our, our father was very humble, right? Our father was very humble. Of course, when he believed something, um, he would go all the way. He was confident, he was full of conviction,
1: and he was humble, which is very difficult to, to have those yes. three characteristics. So,
0: our father, in many ways, you, you guys say that about me, that I hedge a lot. Our father, really he was very careful not to put himself in any position where he would allow or give someone a chance to attack him, correct? Because our father respected the law of the Wild West, right? (laughs) He respected, and I think we should touch on this. Our father was this highly academic person, right, that studied in the best institutions of the world, a doctor, and he was a real doctor, right? He was an old-school plastic surgeon. He was doing reconstructive surgery, accidents, and he was cancer. Yeah, treating all kinds of. And was always studying. Always
2: studying. Never stopped studying.
0: But at the same time, our dad was very connected with the realities of the street. Because he saw a weakness in academia,
1: he saw a weakness in the intellectual worlds. He saw. In the country
0: clubs of the world. Correct. He saw a weakness. He was part of the country clubs. And he enjoyed it, and of course he made great friends, but he saw the weakness. Correct. And well, and that so connected him to the street element. Correct. And he connected through music. Yes. Right? Portela. Correct. Samba. Jiu-jitsu, of course. Jiu-jitsu correct. at the time, I think even before, just being involved, having to deal with fights in the street and having to defend himself in the street. Growing up in Copacabana in a... In a in a building and being in the street all day. And it goes back also to what you talked about earlier, that our father, he liked the underdog. Our father
1: hated injustice. Yes. He hated injustice. And he, another quote, our father loved aphorisms, right?
0: So what's the quote? I know already. Worse than? Yes, worse
1: than. So worse than committing an act of injustice is to accept injustice. Because you might commit an act of injustice due to ignorance. But to accept injustice is always
0: an act of cowardness. So this is a perfect um, setup for what I would like to now talk about, and that's why I started with, you know, this notion of, you know, maybe hedging or being humble and really not wanting to put yourself in a position that you might have to fight. Because if you're going to fight, you're not going to stop, right? You don't start the fight. But if the fight starts, you finish the fight, right? You agree that our father lived by that a lot. So our father eventually, as a very prominent plastic surgeon, very successful plastic surgeon operating, uh, he had, I think, over 11,000 operations, plastic surgery operations, private surgeries. And he accepted getting into politics, I think we should talk a little bit, even go back to his university days and how that started.
1: Yeah, as you said, our father liked the underdog and our father hated injustice. So he hated social injustice. What do I mean by that? Sometimes in the country clubs that he was a part of, in, in the uh, elites, he felt that there was some discrimination towards people with less money. And that's something that he did not like. He despised that. And also any type of racial discrimination, racial injustice. And so he was connected with political movements at the time that he felt would fight against these injustices.
0: Even though he came from a more conservative conservative background as far as the family. Correct. Mm -hmm. And so
1: this is something that he always carried with him. And in the
0: 1980s... No, hold on. I think it's important to mention that his school... Correct. I think that's what really influenced him: his university, mm-hmm. the medical school, the Faculdade Nacional de Medicina. Yes, they was also known for being a very yes uh, socially uh, active correct institution and,
1: and fighting for these causes against social injustice, against
0: racial injustice. So to the point, our father graduated in 1963, mm-hmm. right? His medical school. Correct. Is that correct? Yes. In 1964. Uh, there's a huge political change in Brazil, and of course, at the time of the Cold War, and the military uh, regime took what's over. The, what's the proper way of saying that nowadays?
1: There was a there was a there was um,
0: a military intervention.
1: Intervention,
0: correct. And this university was eventually. Destroyed. Destroyed. Yes, they actually destroyed the building itself. It was a beautiful
1: building. Beautiful building. In Rio, and it was destroyed because they felt that it represented certain ideas. And there was
0: some incidents there. That Yes.
1: But the thing is that we also must say that even though our father had that, he always was a great admirer of the United States of America. So much so that his medical training, also in the early 60s, was in America, great part of it, in New York City. And also the fact that later he would send us to study in American universities, and before that he put us in the American school in Rio. So his, he felt that in America, people had the ability, the underdog had the ability to, to come out on top, that the American dream was real. He yes. always admired the American dream. and But that shaped, as you said, that, that um, rebel spirit that he had and that um, sentiment of, of, of not accepting injustice made him in the 80s, join um, the governor of Rio and helping him improve the situation of public health in the state of Rio de Janeiro and later transportation. And and, and he had some great achievements. For example, the samba Drome, the sambodromo in Rio, which is one of the, the, the most important structures where the carnival is held every year. That came from our father and his connection to people from the samba world, from Mazinho, from Portela and how he, they had this idea, and he, they brought this to the governor to build this place for the, the, the celebration of carnival and the expression of what our father felt was the richest and most important cultural yeah. expression
0: in, in, in Brazilian culture. And this time period, Joaquim, is, is really unbelievable. Something that, especially for the time, was, was very unique. Our father went to the country club, he went to the equestrian club, to Ipica, right? And maybe for the day. And at night, he would go to Portela. Yeah, in the, in the, in the outskirts or in, Rio, the, in, the, in the... Poor areas. The poor areas, correct. Right? And he was able to navigate, navigate these very different worlds in a very, very positive way. And in many ways, he would bring Natural them... Natural way. And he would bring them together. And that's what I was going to say. And our father... And maybe he is not given the credit for that. Um, even though I've seen some articles, he, he would always talk about one of his friends at the time, Becky Klabin. Mm-hmm. She also um, was mm-hmm. doing that. and But he would say that he was the first one. <laughs> they had apartments very close to each other in Ipanema. Yes. And he was bringing the artists from these poor neighborhoods. At the yes. time, there was a huge separation, right? carnaval- ca- carnaval wasn't what it was today, yes, right it was carnaval was more for the for the poor, poor Correct. people only, and our father brought these worlds together. I think that he has a huge role in the in the huge Janeiro cultural history as well,
1: and that's how we grew up. I remember how when I was a kid, he encouraged me to become friends with people who are not so privileged economically, financially he wanted me to to li- us to live in those circles. So we learned, like another quote that he always said, that he wanted us to learn so much and he always said that, ovo não nasce in geladeira. How many times you heard him repeat that throughout the years? Meaning, eggs are not born in <laughs> they
0: the They don't refri- come from the fridge. Yes. The, the egg doesn't come from the fridge. Yeah, somebody has to go get it. Yes, you have to understand where it comes from and and he always talked appreciate about Appreciate But Joaquin, so, of course... It's already a long episode. Um, but then, so he opened himself to politics. And e- even though he wasn't a politician, no, he was a secretary of health. He was friends with the governor. He yeah. admired the governor. Which he met through jujitsu. Correct. That's very interesting too. Yes. Yes. He met through jujitsu at the time the governor, years before that, even b- it was before uh, the military mm-hmm. intervention. He met the governor through a contact. The governor needed two young guys that were good fighters to, to help him out and to be with him. Yes. And they selected Hobson, yes. Hansel's father, and our dad. Correct. And they were, at this time, they were great friends and yes. they were together. And eventually, after the military intervention was over in the 1980s and this um, politician came back, from exile? Yeah, Leonel Brizola, and that's when he invited our father to... And it was very interesting because our father was very close with the, with the military.
1: Correct. Our <laughs> father,
0: he was friends with everyone,
1: and he navigated all those worlds. Yeah. And, and
0: Which he also became, in many ways, not just through jiu-jitsu, but he became friends with a lot of the, the, the elite of the military, the Brazilian military, through jiu-jitsu. Correct. But through horseback riding, of course, and, uh, and as a doctor... And what was interesting is that when um, this politician comes back from exile, my father's then already a very prominent doctor. Yes, and that's actually what helped him also with his jujitsu trajectory, because my father eventually became this huge doctor, very famous doctor, very recognizable figure in Rio de Janeiro—not just a plastic surgeon, but very co- co- close to to politics, but also close to professional soccer, close to samba, and, and all these different uh, activities. And this, I think, in many ways, contributed to his friendship with Grandmaster Elio and, and
2: Carlos. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, because they were so proud of him, right?
1: He used to be this young kid training at the school, and then they became very proud of all his success, and that definitely made them closer. But Joaquin, so... And our father became a trusted doctor for them as well.
0: Yeah. and 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 this happens many times, right? There's, you see many examples of this, but as our father got older, I think he became maybe a little bit more conservative in some ways. Always a rebel, always fighting against injustice. But then something happened and you were part of it, right? Our father, well, our our house, we were not there anymore, but our house was invaded at night.
2: Yeah, because, you know, he was someone that his social views of things that mattered for him, like we spoke about earlier, right? Justice and, and, and racial and all those things that were so important, and he always fought for that, you know, were in many ways, you know, used as a, a card for votes in Brazil. <laughs> but Rio became a city that was completely, you know, taken over by crime, And we lived through that through those years. And my dad always helped the community close to our house, which was in the mountain, in the mountains of Rio, in in the hills. The hills, yeah, close to the uh, Christ. uh, Close to the Christ. And he always offered he always offered his medical support and you know for all festivities, you know, Christmas, all the festivities, he always helped out and, and, and contributed with the community. And one day, our house got invaded by these, you know, drug dealers, who were also, you know, invading homes and, and terrorizing people's lives. And that was a big shock for him because he never expected that that was going to happen. And were these guys in from- our neighborhood? And they were from the community. They were from from a community very close to us. So after that time, his his strategy became, I need to protect myself and protect my kids and protect my, it was me and my sister at that time living there so that this doesn't happen anymore at the time. And I think we spoke about the story already. You know, we thought about moving to Miami and we decided to stay, I think also in his spirit of let's fight until the end, even though it was 100% understandable. Pedro and Guy were living in Miami ready for us to come here. But Joanna was competing horseback riding and I was also you know, in school, and I didn't want to leave, so we decided to stay. And after that, his tolerance for crime and for, you know, these drug dealers that were committing terrible things in Rio became basically zero. He had no tolerance. And understandable because we were living in a war in that city, right? They were killing people. They were assassinating people. They were, you know, carjacking uh, kidnapping, there were all kinds of crimes going on. And if we were going to stay there, we had to be prepared to be able to fight that war. And he made sure that we were practicing shooting, that we were training, that we had, you know, our house became very fortified to be able to to defend against crime. And I think that was part of his shift. I wouldn't even call it a shift because I think our dad was always a conservative man. You know, it's just that at that time he got more involved with paying attention with topics that were so connected with our ability to live. And it's the guy is hard
1: to define our father, right? Those it's guys conservative, never
2: Conservative, not back. conservative. Conservative, so, yeah. I think, is also a word that's very hijacked nowadays. So,
0: yeah. And th- those guys never came back, right? The ones that invaded the house. They
2: never came back because right after that they tried to, to rob a uh, deputy chief of the Rio police and one of his officers, and they they were in a shootout. And in that shootout, they killed one of the officers, and I I think the deputy chief also. Yes. They both killed about, I think, four of the guys that, that had come to the house to rob our house. And because they killed these police officers, the whole police force of Rio made sure that, you know, in a matter of 24 hours, he was found and dealt with. Got it. So, Pedro,
0: you were saying something interesting. I think Joaquin said that conservative...
1: Yeah, no, I was saying that it's very hard to label our father, you know, with the, the liberal, conservative. The, he was, as we, we're trying to describe him, and, and he had so... You know, I, I've talked to people about people who know him very well, and, and everyone has a very hard time putting him in a... Yeah, he was, what is it in English? Inconformado? Yeah, nonconformist. Nonconformist. And and he, um, he had his own way, very unique, with very particular code of morals
0: and, and ethics. And, and it's very interesting because Rio de Janeiro, for us, it was very important to grow up in Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro is a great city. We love Rio de Janeiro. I haven't been there in a long time, but you know, I, I think that our personality, our, our core is really based on having grown up in the city of Rio de Janeiro. Rio de Janeiro is a melting pot. Rio de Janeiro connects rich with poor Rio de Janeiro connects uh, all kinds of walks of life in very small places. And we had that experience. I think our father really took advantage of uh, of those benefits of growing up in Rio de Janeiro. I think that many times children who have maybe a little bit of money through their parents and they grow up in certain areas. Even here in the United States, you're so disconnected from other worlds, from other realities. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we
2: knew what it was like. When yeah, people say like, you know, uh, so-and-so grew up in a bubble. I think, you know, we never grew up in no. a bubble. Yeah. In Rio de Janeiro, you really can't grow up in a
0: bubble, right? Uh, sometimes uh, exactly. I think you can. Some people do. That's true. It's just it's hard because you see it but you try to hide from it.
2: Our dad and I think it's different. It's very maybe it changed. Maybe in the eighties it was harder.
0: You could still, of course, you know, it's different. It was in different ways for all of us. We were
2: also very privileged. But my dad always No, but our
0: father,
1: he made sure that we understood other people by living through them. And other people were kind of closed in a bubble and 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 maybe
0: some of these guys that invaded our house had played soccer with us when we were kids yeah. okay. and I think that's why our father was very disappointed correct it's funny I had never thought
1: of this before when you explained it it made total sense to me and and growing up our father he had this idea that they're not going to come here because yeah, because I understand
0: them and I'm not the criminal element yeah. which but, by the way is something that happened in, in, in Rio a lot that's where I was going to yeah, I was getting to uh, these these organized crime families, or it's not a family, but these these, um, these gangs, these factions, they even protected the areas back in the day. Correct. That uh, they were in because they were in the business of selling drugs, so yes. they didn't want attention to that area. But so Rio changed, and that's something that we invite our, our friends who, who who like this topic, and their are movies about it. Sure, City of God. Uh, elite squad. Correct. So that's a lot of what was going on in Rio. and But at one point, even this organization broke down. Completely. Right? There was, a, there was first Jogo do Bicho. Yes. Right? Illegal at, gambling. Legal, it was, illegal. It was illegal gambling. And of course, these um, that was more similar to the mafia. Mm-hmm. They controlled. They organized. And, uh, and but it's a this, mess. It yeah, has definitely. always been a mess.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it was always separate. Right. The mafia, like what you can call the mafia, all, always try to control, you know, the drug cartels, but yes. <laughs> they were never able to do it 100 percent. Rio is a mess. Yes, it's nice. a nice mess. You know, some people like it more than others. There is different ways that you can visit Rio and get to see Rio. You know, you can it's have a beautiful an amazing... City. It's a be- I think there, it's the most beautiful city in the world. There's, you know, nature-wise, there's no place like that. Beautiful culture, beautiful people. But yeah. if you go there, you gotta know where you're going.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, but going back to our father and his philosophy,
0: I think we should already start wrapping up. And
2: this maybe is a
1: good... Uh,
2: way to
0: wrap up. Good
1: closing, right? How he believed in honor and responsibility. He said... A mulher de César não basta ser honesta, tem que parecer honesta. He always told us, don't embarrass yourself. But what does that mean? Sorry, Caesar's wife is not enough for her to be honest. She must appear honest. Yeah, and he wasn't just talking about women. No, 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 was That's for that, us. Yeah. never embarrass yourself. Never do anything that's going to dishonor yourself, your family. So he had, uh, even though our father had a great sense of humor, he was a jokester in many ways, but he knew the importance of being serious and the importance of having personal responsibility. And that's something that he gave to us. He instilled this in us. Don't embarrass yourself. Always protect your good name. One wrong attitude can tarnish an entire generation. That's another quote that he liked. So he taught us to have personal responsibility. And that's something that we're going to carry with us for the rest of our lives and something that's going to affect generations to come in our family.
0: And Pedro, I have to mention this. And of course, this could trigger another few hours of of discussion. But without getting into much detail, our father was a very... He believed in freedom, right? He Something that now maybe today is a lot more accepted. But in all of his relationships, even as a father... Our father was extremely present, extremely present, but in, in, in some stages of his, of his life, especially when we were younger, without being there physically, right? Even at the time when there was no cell phone. So he could be in Europe. He could be anywhere in Brazil, but he was present. Yes. He was calling. He was checking. Of course, our mom and him at the time worked very well together. Yes. Right. Our mom really bought into his ways, but our father was always free. In every, in every aspect,
1: way. he didn't accept any any type of any type of barrier, any type of control, and, and
0: often he was misunderstood because misunderstood. of that. and he was very, but he was always open yes. about it. He was honest. There were no, there were no lies. Yes. Right. Did he make mistakes? Yes. Sure. Right. And, um, and he, I think knows about he knew about them yes but um but what you said reminded me of this because of course our parents eventually divorced but our father was never a liar no no he lived a a different lifestyle he talked about trust also again that this word is so important for him and he talked about it comparing it to a crystal or to a diamond crystal glass Yes, or a diamond or a glass. And he talked about the fact that if there's a scratch, it's very difficult for it to be. And if it breaks, it cannot be put together it again. It cannot be put together again. So, yes, did he make mistakes? Yes. Even though he said many times that he would try to make very little mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and and he wanted pull us pull. to be
2: <laughs> better versions of him. And I think we need to talk about that for at least a few more minutes. Because uh, that's the important. The memory card is about to end space, so we got okay. do it quick. So, so no, we can do it quick.
0: Time. So maybe next time we talk about it. I think we could talk about that. And we can talk about how sometimes you have to break family cycles. And it takes a lot of courage to do that. Yeah. And he, even though our father did not do the diet perfectly he taught us how to eat better correct even though that's an episode i think that deserves to be an episode (laughs) even though our father liked maybe to have some drinks and he wrote he taught us not to
1: drink to finish my participation one of the most valuable things that i have is a little paper with his handwriting where he wrote one of the greatest accomplishments of my life is that my children have my qualities all my qualities without my flaws, most importantly, my short temper.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) we hope so. Thank you so much. This was a very important um, episode for us. We hope you liked it. Please um, share it. Subscribe to the channel if you're still not subscribed. Turn on the notification bell, and we'll see you very soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.